just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. That's one of the great invitational hymns of the church. One of my favorites. I love to sing it. Uh, You might not like hearing me sing it, but I love to sing it. And you know, my friends, that's true every bit as much for me today as in that first day when I came to Jesus Christ, understanding the weight of my sins and what he had done for me. I need him and his work in my life every day. And I can come to him just as I am, without any plea except that blood which was shed for me. It's a good thing and a great God. Our scripture reading today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul writes there, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Would you pray with me now, please? Father, we're I'm really glad to be here today. We're glad that we come here, Lord, um, not because we're worthy. We don't come here because of our merit. We don't come here because of any good thing we've ever done. We come here because you sought us out and you purchased us with the greatest payment that could ever be made, the blood of your Son. You loved us enough to send him into this world to die in our place. And Father, though sometimes we lose sight of that fact, sometimes we forget it. Sometimes because of our sin, Lord, we're weighed down. And yet, Lord, your love for us does not alter, it doesn't change. And so we come here, we're glad to see our friends, we're glad to be able to sing and worship Uh, We're glad for all of that, but most of all, we're glad that you're here, that you're in our midst, that you promised to meet with us. If even just two or three gather together, you're right here with us. And Lord, it's a good thing again for us to know, and it's my prayer for myself and for everyone that's here, that we would once again taste and see that you are good. And we ask that you would speak to us today through your word, Lord, that you, would, that you would give us understanding of this word. And that understanding, Lord, that uh, goes beyond simply um, knowing what it means, but the understanding that comes to us when we embrace your word, and we desire and try and look for ways to put it into practice. When we confess, Lord, we are needy. 
we, none of us have arrived. And so we come to you expecting to hear a word from our God. And Father, as I often do, I do, again, ask that you would allow me to disappear behind the cross of Jesus Christ, that he and he alone would be exalted in our midst. And we offer you our prayers, uh, ourselves, this day, everything about this service in his most wonderful name. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So together for several weeks now, interspersed with some really excellent preaching by our good associate pastor out of the book of Thessalonians. For several weeks now, we've been talking about God's will, and specifically we've been talking about how we can determine what his will for us is, both in the in the uh, big things, such as what is it he want, us to, want me to do with my life, but also in the smaller things, the kind of twists and turns of our everyday existence. And at different times in our lives, that question, what is God's will for me, seems to take on more significance. And the truth is, is that the question and its answer is always important, but there are, there are certain things or situations that cause it to uh, come to the forefront of our thinking, or at least they should. And so a high school student uh, uh, looking at colleges or a person um, considering a promotion or a career change or a family thinking about moving into a new home should be seeking God's will in every one of those decisions. The sad thing is, is that we can really get to a place in our lives where we stop asking that question. We stop asking, what does God want for me in this particular thing? And we can even begin to think that that question is kind of quaint, uh, a kind of leftover from the inquisitive days of our youth, which we've outgrown. And we become smug to some degree, believing God has given us our brains and he expects us to use them. And We find ourselves making decisions based on other factors, uh, such as what's in it for me, or what do I want, or even um, how much money can I make in this venture. So it's true that God does expect us to use our native intelligence as we think about the choices that we face, but but he expects us to do so in the larger context of our relationship with him. And the truth is, thinking about those other factors is good because God uses those other things that we think about when we make decisions. Uh, Sometimes he uses them to point us in the right direction, but at other times he uses those very things we've been thinking about to reveal something in our heart that needs to be addressed. And and always, I I think, he, uh, he, he uses those kinds of things to add a kind of depth to our understanding uh, when we do discover his will and pursue it. For example, um, sometimes we realize in giving something up because uh, we want to follow God in some particular way, we realize that it wasn't really what we wanted after all, although it seemed so important to us before. But how is it that Christians can get to the place in their Life where they, they've stopped actively seeking God's will. Well, sometimes people who have come into the faith uh, just haven't had a good foundation. They don't even 
realize that God has a will for them. They understand that their sins have been paid for by the death of Jesus and that they need to turn from that sin. But no one's ever told them that there's more to the Christian life than that. And other people, of course, who should know better and have known better have stopped seeking God's will because of sin in their life. And some people have just been distracted by the things of life and the daily demands and burdens of living, forgetting, simply forgetting to ask that question. But others, and I'm afraid that there are many others, have kind of stopped asking that question out of a kind of frustration. They've asked it in the past, and they're, they're not sure they've ever been given an answer. And if you talk with them, they say things like this, how can you know if it's really God's will or just your own desire to do something? Or, or how does he tell you what it is that he wants? Or, or why does he make it so hard to figure out? And all of those things indicate that at some point at least they have wanted to know God's will, but for some reason they feel that they've never discovered it, or at least they were never sure of it. Now the remedy for all of that is the same. First, we we need to tell people who don't know, and we need to remind others that God really does have a will for them, for their lives in general, in the big picture, and in the decisions that they face and must make in the more everyday kinds of things in their life. And even for those living in sin, that reminder may help to wake them up to all of that which they're forfeiting by their actions. And then I think we need to give people a realistic understanding of how you determine what God's will is. Some people people have have gotten the wrong idea of God's will, that it's merely a kind of of a fact, and if they just have the, the right resource, we can discover that fact and then we can do it. We tend to, to think of it as kind of a, a destination and we need to get a map and once we do that we can figure out how to get there. And, and the truth is we want it to be that way because we want to be in control of our own lives and that way of thinking about God's will is really very appealing to us. But as much as we might want to be in control, we're not. You know, sometimes God tells us our destination, but even when he does, he, he, he still need to ask him how we're supposed to get from here to there. I've probably told you this before, but I, I believe God called me into the ministry, and that meant I had to go to seminary, and, and I felt like God had led me to the particular seminary I was to go to, and I'd gotten a piece of advice from one of my associate pastors in my church, go to there, wherever you go, go to a small church, he told me. He says, that way you can do lots of things. You go to a big church, maybe you get to teach a Sunday school class. Never once prayed about it. Went out there and followed that advice. Looking back, I don't know. Maybe I should have been in a large church. Maybe there were things in a large church that I could have learned that I couldn't learn in that small church, but I never asked. I had the destination and I made my way. Most of the time, though, we we really don't know exactly where we're going. You see, God reveals it to us as we travel, and he does so because the truth is, is we're often not yet able to understand some aspect of what he's doing. 
So how often have you heard someone say something like, if you'd have told me five years ago that I'd be doing this, whatever it is, some job or activity or whatever it is, if you'd have told me five years ago that I'd be doing this, I would have said you're nuts. (laughs) And yet there they are doing the very thing that they would have thought they'd never do. But God had to get them ready for it. Now, thinking of God's will as a journey is really not such a bad thing, especially if if you think about it as a journey with God who's going to lead you and a journey with others uh, who will accompany you on the way. Thinking about it that way really, I think, takes the focus off of the future and places it in the now where it belongs. I mean, you see, we we consider the future because of the effects of our actions today have, but uh, we don't live there. We live here and now. And thinking about uh, God's will kind of as a journey, it helps us to picture the truth that God really does unfold his will as we walk with him in this life. And it also, I think, relieves us of a burden, a, a burden one of wondering if maybe we made a mistake. We think that, and, and yet if we begin thinking about God walking with us, we realize that even if we do make a wrong turn, and all of us have, and all of us will, even if we make a wrong turn as we continue to walk with him, God will lead us on and get us to the place that we're supposed to go. And we also understand that our journey is made with other believers who God uses sometimes to reveal things to us or to help us or or there are people that we might impact in some way or that we're going to work together to accomplish God's purposes. See, the reality is, is that God reveals his will to us in relationship. There are things that he uses to reveal that well, but each of those things is an aspect of a relationship, and we've looked at them in the times that we've been together. I mean, first we saw that God speaks to us through his word, but he does so most effectively when we're in an ongoing relationship with him. And so God's word's not a fortune cookie or a horoscope that we merely consult and then do what we think is best. It's a, it's a revelation of the truth that must be received as an expression of the heart of God, of the living God. And that happens in relationship. And then we said that God expects us to be in a church. And he does that when we're there. He begins preparing us for the work, whatever it is that we might uh, have to do, that he wants us to do. God reveals himself. He reveals the truth about ourselves and about others and about the world we live in and and the things he desires through the messages that are preached on Sunday morning, through Sunday school classes, through small groups, through relationships with other believers. And we also saw that as we give ourselves up to him and walk in obedience, God reveals his will, whether it's that next step in the journey or some point to destination that is yet to come. Why should we ever think that God will tell us his will in some particular area when we're not doing it in some other area where we already know what it is? See, God's will is revealed to us in relationship, which really brings us to today. And a relatively short message 
where we briefly look at another one of those aspects of relationship which God uses to reveal his will to us. And it's found in the book of Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. It's already up on the screen, but if you want to find it in the Bible and follow along with me there, you sure are welcome to do that. So what I'm going to do is we're simply going to begin by reading this passage, and it's really a rather complex passage. And at first glance, it might seem as though it's not addressing the topic of God's will, but it is. And so what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to some extent take it apart in order to understand it. But the first thing we'll do is simply survey it by reading it. And so Paul writes there, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now the first thing I want us to note here is that this is a prayer. And so Paul's telling us uh, that this is what he prayed probably daily for this uh, Philippian church, for his friends there at Philippi. You see, evidently he had, had prayed this so often that it had become ingrained in him. Probably when he first began praying for the Philippians, he prayed for certain things, but, but through that process it evolved into this particular prayer. And I can imagine him every day coming before the living God and saying almost the exact words. We, we don't like rote prayers for good reason, because if we're not careful, they become really recitation. But, but sometimes there's just no other way to say the things that we need to say. And we use the same words over and over again. And if our heart is there and our mind is there and we're coming to God, then we are praying in faith. And, and so he probably began praying for those things and evolved into this particular prayer for them. But this is scripture, right? So, so it has God's imprimatur on it. And, and, and as a spirit-led believer, Paul, no doubt, often voiced prayers that reflected the heart of the God who lives in him, just as I hope you and I do as we pray for others. We're reflecting God's heart. But this prayer has become part of God's word, and, and, and that shows us the importance and the truth of what's written here, and that it really applies to all people, not just to those in Philippi, but to those in Philippi and Corinth and Athens and Greece and Rome and New York City and Graysonville and Stevensville. It applies to all of us. And what Paul is praying for his friends in this church really applies to anyone who belongs to Christ. And the focal point of this prayer is all about relationship. And, and Paul makes really a, a quite a, an astonishing request. He, he, he tells us he prays that God would cause the love of the Philippians to grow. But, but what he says here is in essence that their love was already abounding. And Paul wanted it to abound even more and more. And so he says... Uh, as you see in the scriptures, says that your love, this is what I'm praying for, that your love may abound more and more. And he goes on to say, in knowledge and depth of insight, but, but it's really the love that Paul is praying about here. It's not the knowledge or depth of insight. And, 
The picture of that thing would be something like a, a small twig that's growing bigger and bigger and more fruit while it remains just as small. But if we understand it as the other idea that it's the love that's abound, then we have less difficulties understanding what he's saying here. You see, love is listed in 1 Corinthians as, as a most important quality that there is. It's, it's much more important than knowledge, and it lasts forever. And, and there's some knowledge, at least some kinds of knowledge, don't last forever. They'll pass away. And the idea communicated here, if we think about it, really is, is, a, is a, of this love that's growing and like a tree that's getting bigger and bigger and as it grows it bears more and more fruit and larger and larger fruit. The idea is that love as it grows is better able to comprehend the truth and express its wisdom and that kind of abounding love is taught in other places in the scripture. So he's really talking about their love abounding. Of course as that love abounds right the Insight and knowledge increases with it, but it's the love that it comes from. So, so just what does it mean that this love would abound? So well, Paul says this, that their love was already abounding. And the Greek word that he uses is periseo. And, and it means very great, excessive, extreme, emphatic, surpassing, all the more, much greater. See, they had that kind of love already, but Paul wanted it to abound even more and more. And the picture is of something extreme that can become even more extreme or, or something excessive and yet very good that can become even more excessive. So the other night, uh, maybe you did it, I did, I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning and um, Actually, I got up before that so I could read my Bible, but by 5 o'clock I looked out that back kitchen window and I, to see if that moon was actually going to go through that, uh, that eclipse. And, and it was cloudy, but it was peeking out right then. So I walked outside, I sat down in a chair, and I watched. And there was, like I said, it was cloud. There was a break in the clouds, and then the moon was covered, you know. And, and I didn't know how much I'd be able to see. And, uh, but then it seemed like the dark clouds were getting less and every once in a while that that opening would come and the, everything would be light around me because of that moon you know and then and then before i knew it the sky was clear and there wasn't a cloud in the sky and the moon was just barely having that shadow coverage you know and everything was lit up around me by that light and then as i continued to watch and that moon was sinking on the horizon you know and the sun was coming up and first, it was a little brighter, and then there was blue in the sky, and then I could see a little red in the sky. I never saw the moon turn red, I have to tell you that. But as the sun came up, it got light, and when the moon was out, before I could see, there was grass there, and the sun was out, I could see the blades, you know? And, and, and so there's this abounding light, this light from the moon, and it was bright, it was a full moon. And then the sun came up and it was even brighter. And just this week, I read that there's a heavenly body out there, some kind of a star that is 10 million 
times brighter than our sun. And God's light is even brighter than that. And that's what he's talking about. It's love that will abound more and more. It's not just hyperbole. Paul isn't just making the point that the Philippians should be extremely loving. I think he's telling us something about the nature of love, that it can grow and it can continue to grow and become more and more like God's love, which is absolutely infinite. And, you know, if you think about it, we understand that. We understand that, that growing, that multiplying of love. You know, you had a baby, maybe you had your first child, and you know how much you loved that child. And once in a while you'll run across someone who will say, I don't think I could ever have another child because I, I don't know how I'd love him like this one, right? And they seem to have this idea that they only have so much love to give, and, and if I have another baby, I've got to cut it in half or something. That's not what happens at all, is it? You have that other child, and your love for the first one hasn't decreased. It's just now the same kind of love for the next one. And it's not just the same, but there's... It's not even just double, it's something more. It just multiplies by it. And my love for my wife, I mean, because she loves her children, it makes me love her even more. And the truth is, is, I love her more today than the day I married her. That love, it just multiplies and it grows. And that's what Paul was trying to say here, that, that that's what he wants for the love of the Philippians. That's what he wants for our lives, that that love just grows. And, and who's it for? <laughs> Is it for God? Is it for the other people in their fellowship? Is it, is it for other believers in general? Is it for the neighbors or, or even enemies? And the answer, of course, I think is all of the above. God wants us to love him. He wants us to love the people here in this church. He wants us to love other believers and our neighbors and even our enemies. And the truth of the matter is, my friends, if you really love God... You've got to love other people. You just can't do it any other way. So what we can say about this abounding love is uh, it needs to grow more and more, but um, we're not yet perfect in that love. <laughs> if we were, Paul wouldn't have had to write this. and we, we do. We fail all the time. And so we need to try to do the things that help us in that. We need to be here. We need to encourage people. We need to put ourselves in places where, where that love can do. We, we need to kill those things that might interfere with our love and hinder it. You see, it's an act of our will. It's something that we can choose to do or not do. And, um, and as an act of will, it can be influenced by prayer. And so we ought to do as Paul did and pray for one another. You see, love as it grows is, is capable of more and more knowledge and depth of insight. And this knowledge and depth of insight is kind of the fruit of love. And there's more yet to come. And so what I want to do is just say, say, take a look at this. Again, let me read the, this portion here. It says, uh, this, um, that your prayer, uh, love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, right? And so what does he mean by this word knowledge? Uh, well, I want to tell you that if I were to translate this or, or paraphrase it, I'd use the word God knowledge. <laughs> and, and, and it's the Greek word epigenosis. It simply means it's over and above knowledge, and it's almost always referred to about God and the things of God. And, and so when our love abounds, right, 
then we have this knowledge, and it's real knowledge of God. Now, there's a lot of people out there that think they know about God, and you've met them, right? You've met the people who think that God is kind of uh, just this killjoy, that the comic representation of him is he's sitting up in heaven, and he's got a lightning bolt in his hand, his hand just ready to strike you. That's not God. Or you hear people talk of him as though he's some kind of a senile old man up in heaven and just wants you to be happy and pat you on the back. And that's not God. When your love is abounding, when you're in the Word, you begin to know God for who he really is. It's a God kind of knowledge. But it's also God's knowledge of other things. And so everything that there is, God made. And he knows it inside and out. He knows it exactly. And he knows it completely. And and our knowledge of the things and people and uh, items, all of that, the creation around us, becomes more like that. It's never complete. But it's real knowledge. We begin to have real understanding. So it's God knowledge, right? And then it's depth of insight. So it's not superficial. It's seeing beyond the appearance. In the Old Testament, you remember that passage where God says, uh, man looks on the outside, but I look on the heart. And so we begin looking past the things on the outside. We begin looking to the things on the inside. We look to the heart. We look to the truth, the matter, what's really important. And that comes as, as, we, uh, as we love and as we try to love more, you know? Is that we, we've covered a lot so far. It says, is, is our love abounds and abounds more and more, becoming more like God's love. And, and it brings us God's knowledge and, a, and understanding. And that allows two things to happen. And the first is it means I can know God's will. And the second is I can live it out. So I'm going to read it again just a little bit further. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. Now, do I really need to point out to you guys that what is best is God's will? See, I think that's a really insightful statement. The growing love and its fruit, we're better able to discern what's best. It's insightful because, you know, the truth is we're presented with a lot of really good things that we can do, a lot of good choices. And if our love is abounding, then we're able to discern what's best. Of course, it applies to us individually, right? What's best for me is not always the best thing for you to do in a certain circumstance. But we can discern it. Lots of choices out there, right? Lots of things you can do that are good. And then that abounding love enables you to discern what is best. There's an English proverb that says, uh, good is the enemy of best. (laughs) And often we settle for something that's good when God really wanted to give us something that was even better, that was the best. And when we choose something that's good but it's not the best, uh, then we miss out on an opportunity. You know, a businessman would talk about that as opportunity cost. You're doing this other thing over here. You can't do this here. And maybe you also rob someone else of some good opportunity for that. And the idea would also include recognition of bad choices. You see, the enemy will be less able to pull the wool over our eyes or hoodwink us. Because as our love abounds, we're able to discern our knowledge or God knowledge, our depth of insight is growing and we're able to discern what's best and uh, know what God's will for our life is. 
And the second part, I'm just going to kind of summarize the last of the passage. And honestly, you could spend a long time even in the rest of the passage. I just want to summarize it uh, by saying it really enables me to live out God's life. Right, let me read the whole passage and see if we get the gist of it. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more. Knowledge and depth is not God knowledge and real understanding. So that you may be able to discern what is best. That is, discover God's will. And that you might be pure and blameless. That's just speaking to us our character, right? Filled with the fruit of righteousness. It speaks to our actions as a Christian. Uh, the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What he's saying is, is that that living, that abounding love, not only helps you to discover God's will, but it enables you to live it out, to live as a Christian. It tells us that we can live our faith. That's an amazing prayer. The first time I saw that and really understood it, I was just almost dumbfounded by it. And every time I make my way through Philippians several times a year, every time I come to that passage, once again I stop and I think of what that's saying. Bounding love. Bounding love gives you God knowledge, real understanding, so that you can discover God's will and then live it out. Again, it's his will revealed to us in relationship. Relationship to him and to others. It's not a fortune cookie. It comes with a relationship. So I'm going to close with just one kind of last thought, and that is, how, how do we make that love abound? I mean, how do you... Make love abound. Well, we, we can pray for one another and we can pray for ourselves. And I think we need to spend time in the scriptures. But really, if God's, our love for God is also accompanied with our love for everything else, then maybe we need to figure out how to spend more time with God. And it's a kind of an interesting thing if you spend more time with people... Uh, and the people you spend more time with, you, you begin to love. I mean, I'm going to qualify that because you're all saying, what? <laughs> if that doesn't happen, it doesn't happen for one of two reasons. Either it doesn't happen because of their sin, or it doesn't happen because of our sin. Because there's nothing like relationship in this world. My kids were young. They couldn't understand why we would go and sit and talk at people's houses. Why weren't we playing games, riding bicycles, going out, doing this? And now that they've gotten older, they know this joy of simply being with other people. And if you want your love to abound, then, then get with the people of God and get with God as often as you can. I, I, I guarantee you something. <laughs> you will never be sorry for it. You will never be sorry for it. I want to close by uh, by reading this uh, a prayer once again. And this is my prayer that your love may abound 
more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. I could pray that for you. My family members, people I know from other places, I could pray that every day and never get to the end of it. So that you may be able to discern what is best so that those I love will know what God wants for them. And you may be pure and blameless. Character that counts and lasts forever. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. People doing and living their life for Christ. All of that comes through Jesus Christ. And it brings him glory and praise. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that's in it. Lord, help us to, um, to take those small steps that we need to take to put these things into practice. Help us to trust you and to walk with you every day. And trust you to reveal your will to us. And Lord, give us that hunger and desire once again in our own lives to know what that is. And to seek it. Whatever it might cost. In Jesus' name.